Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Jake Neer in for Stephen Henderson today. Are you a student of politics? You can join me along with Stephen Henderson and the WDET team to watch the next Democratic debate. That's Wednesday on October, or sorry, November 20th, upstairs at the Hoomer Room at Hopcat in on Woodward in Midtown Detroit. We'll get together again on Wednesday at 7.30. You can register to join us at WDET.org slash events. And also, Aaron Glantz, a senior reporter for Reveal, which is heard Tuesdays here on WDET at 2 p.m., he has has a new book called Homewreckers, How a Gang of Wall Street Kingpins, Hedge Fund Magnates, Crooked Banks, and Vulture Capitalists suckered millions out of their homes and demolished the American dream. You can see him at the Detroit Public Library this Thursday. Again, that's November 21st at 6 p.m. You can find more information at WDET.org slash events. It's very intimidating. Those were the words of former U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, Marie Yovanovitch, as she testified in front of the House Intelligence Committee as part of its public impeachment inquiry hearings last week. She was referring to tweets the president himself was posting as the testimony was unfolding on live TV. The tweets attacked Yovanovitch both personally and professionally. Some have said since that the tweets amount to witness tampering. So far, every witness in the impeachment inquiry has faced attacks from the president, the Republican Party, and its members in Congress. That's likely to continue throughout hearings this week. It all seems unbelievable to see the GOP openly and brazenly attack nonpartisan diplomats with impeccable careers in service to the country and our interests abroad. Here to help us put it into some historical context is someone who has studied impeachments throughout our history. Jeffrey Angle is director of the Center for Presidential History at Southern Methodist University. Uh, And I assume that he's been taking notes furiously uh, recently for the next edition of his book, (laughs) Impeachment in American History. Jeffrey Angle, welcome back to Detroit Today. Hi, good to talk to you again. I must say uh, that I think uh, writing a book about impeachment when you did in 2018 was about the best move a presidential historian probably could have made. So congrats on that. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. You know, in truth, it was prompted by something which was a little bit disturbing in that uh, I contend that no matter which person won the election in 2016, we would have been talking about impeachment. Mm. Um, Obviously, we saw how things played out with Donald Trump, but uh, remember that the Republicans who controlled the House in 2016 uh, had just come from a convention where the major cheer was lock her up. So right. I think it would have been in the air either way. So, so do you think that that is the circumstances of our of, of these specific candidates, both Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, or do you think this is now inherent in our political conversation as a country? No, I actually do think that it's just that just these two candidates. I mean, this is uh, an extraordinary. This was an extraordinary election in oh so many ways. You know, you have on the one hand a candidate with zero political experience by his own admission, in fact, that's part of his calling card, uh, who you know, breaks norms, again, part of his calling card, uh, against a candidate who has so much experience that she's basically been in the public sphere, the public arena, and attacked in the public arena for going on 40 years now. So uh, I don't think that we would have seen other, any other candidate pair create that kind of animosity, that kind of visceral anger that that is necessary for generating impeachment. Mm, Very interesting. Uh, I'm curious, uh, you know, as you've written about this, as you've studied impeachments throughout American history, I'm curious, what are are some of the things that have stuck out most to you so far in these hearings that we've seen in the last couple of weeks, uh, again, as a historian who studied this? 
Well, one thing is something you mentioned in the introduction, which is that we are really in not uncharted waters, but extraordinarily uncomfortable waters when it comes to how witnesses who are career civil servants uh, are being treated, and including you know, ones who are in the military. I mean, we've gotten to a place in our society where the military is usually praised without any critique whatsoever. So to see a, you know, a lieutenant colonel with a battle record uh, abused in the press and his loyalty questioned is really unfathomable, um, and so, but we have to fathom it. Um, mm-hmm. So the example which I keep coming back to is actually uh, Joseph McCarthy. In one critical sense, now that's a very hyperbolic comparison most times, but I want to say in this narrow sense, one of the things that McCarthy did that was effective in the media was to make outlandish claims because he didn't need evidence for those claims to essentially stick to the person. You know, once you heard that a person was a communist, once you heard that a person was a, a sexual deviant, you know, you remembered that about the person, even though McCarthy had no, no facts whatsoever. And I've seen the same thing occur for the witnesses that we've had in the last week of, of the impeachment trial. That each of them has been smeared in one way or another, up to and including by the president of the United States, Without evidence, but that in a sense doesn't matter because now there's a segment of the population that is going to believe that the, some of our diplomats were disloyal, some of our diplomats are not trustworthy, et cetera, et cetera, um, just because it's been said, just because it's been thrown out in, in the ether. And, and I'm, a, I'm particularly disturbed by that trend. So what was it about Joseph McCarthy and the uh, backlash to, to that era that led to decades where we didn't see this kind of uh, sort of uh, baseless attacks as sort of the political norm? Because now it's it seems like it's being embraced uh, at least by uh, one of... Uh, one of the major parties here in the United States that um, that you know once the talking points are there it sticks it's something that is repeated over and over again uh, was there something uh, that that sort of um, uh, reverse course uh, when Joseph McCarthy was was doing his thing that is a little different from today well there's a couple of big differences obviously the, the most obvious and glaring one is the media environment is different in that you know nowadays everybody can find their own media silo uh, and can listen only to evidence that they choose to listen to. <clears throat> you didn't have that option in the 1950s. There's only three major television networks. And while that was limiting in its own way, at the very least, that allowed sort of a consensus on what facts were and what truth were. Um, and we have to remember that McCarthy went on for over you know, uh, several years. Uh, and actually, one of his partners was Richard Nixon, ironically, given that we're going to be talking about impeachments. Uh, you know, I, I think ultimately, at the end of the day, we have to remember that American politics, like all things, are a pendulum. And McCarthy you know, went too far, went over the edge. And the basic decency of basically everyone else in the Congress finally was able to muster the political courage to say, enough, you've gone too far. Now, the big difference, of course, is that the person who was pushing the envelope in the 1950s was a senator. The person who's pushing the envelope today is, of course, the president of the United States. So the pendulum, I think, is ultimately going to swing back towards normality, if you will, but um, perhaps slower than before and perhaps less vigorously than before. And and I I just want to stress that this McCarthy example is is only I'm only applying that in the sense of the way that the rhetoric has been been deployed. Right. Understood. Uh, You're listening to Detroit Today. I'm Jake Neer in for Stephen Henderson today. I'm speaking with Jeffrey Engel. He's the director of the Center for Presidential History at Southern Methodist University. He's also the author 
author of the book Impeachment in American History. Uh, I'm curious uh, if if you know, have you been paying attention to these public impeachment hearings? We want to hear why or why not. If you have, what are your big takeaways from the first week of hearings? And do you think Dem- Democrats are doing what they need to do to win public support for impeachment? And do you think Republicans are doing what they need to do to sort of make sure that this doesn't stick, that this turns into uh, essentially a political exercise? The number on the phones is 313-577-1019. Again, that's 313-577-1019. Please get, we want to hear your thoughts about the impeachment process so far. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. You can also go to our Facebook page and leave comments or questions there. Uh, so, Jeffrey Engel, um, as you just said, we live in very different. We live in a very different world and a very, very different media landscape compared to even 1998. Uh, not to right. mention 1973 or the 1950s. Um, is history even useful in the case of these hearings when it comes to figuring out how people are going to react to hearings like this? Well, let me say, history is not useful except that it's the only thing we have that has a chance of being useful. <laughs> right. You know, I, in fact, I like to say, you know, that old saying that people have that those who do not study history are destined to repeat it is actually wrong, uh, because those of us who study history are also destined to repeat it, but we're less surprised when it happens. <laughs> uh, you know, so the truth is, I think that there are lessons to be drawn from each of the impeachment cases. We'll have to, I'd love to go through what each of those lessons are. But the big picture is that we, we have a very small sample size, we only have three cases, if you will, of impeachment or near impeachment that cause resignation. And each of them is different, and that this case is turning out different. So I think that we are clinging to history, myself included, in order to find strands, in order to find themes, in order to find echoes. But ultimately, this is going to play out differently than the other four, the other three, just because that's the way life works. So in that case, let's let's start with uh, the last impeachment process we saw in 1998 with uh, President Bill Clinton. Uh, what are some of the uh, comparisons that you find useful between that uh, episode in history and today? You know, there's two really key ones. Uh, The first uh, is the way in which the case ultimately in the Senate revolved around the definition of whether what Clinton did was a high crime and misdemeanor. Um, Remember also the the Constitution says that the categories for impeachment are treason, bribery, and high crimes and misdemeanors. And let me just parenthetically say, Americans today are really, you know, claim to be confused over what high crimes and misdemeanors means, but the founders were not unclear at all. They understood it perfectly as as someone who placed their own needs above the needs of the state, someone who did something that harmed the body politic, harmed the people in general, not just someone who committed an individual harm. And that's really what saved Clinton in many ways, that the Senate essentially decided, really before the trial began, we now know, that what Clinton had done was despicable, what Clinton had done was terrible. You know, just to remind your readers, he had not only had inappropriate relations with uh, one of his employees, but more importantly, had lied about it under oath. But that was deemed ultimately by the American public as not a high crime. It was essentially a, a, an, an, a, it was a matter of personal affair, not an affair of state. Uh, and so even though Clinton had done something that was recognized to be against the law, th- there was a general understanding by the American people that, you know, uh, many, if not most Americans, if asked the question, 
under oath without any expectation, without by surprise, uh, are you having an affair? Would have said no, even though we know statistically 50% of Americans were. So you know, it's really something where it was just not deemed to be a high crime, and I think that's going to be relevant today as we start thinking about what President Trump has been accused of doing, and frankly, what he has admitted to doing. The second critical thing about the Clinton impeachment uh, is that it was essentially partisan from the beginning, much like we're seeing today. That is to say, there was not really an opportunity for people to move across the aisle because, again, the, the, the case was somewhat pre-cooked, predetermined, especially when it got to the Senate. Um, Senate Majority Leader Trot, uh, um, Trent Lott, uh, Senate Minority Leader Tom Daschle from South Dakota, they agreed that this was not something that should be done, and therefore they want to essentially preserve a sense of dignity and preserve the continuity of the Senate, much more important than convicting a president for something they didn't think was a high crime. That allowed everyone essentially to retreat to their partisan corners, if you will, because there was no need for courage. There was no need for a moment for senators to stand up and say, I'm going to cross the line because we know what the outcome is going to be. And I think that's that's one of the things that we seem to be seeing today. It's rather remarkable that not a single Republican would vote to endorse an inquiry into this president, which of course had happened in the Nixon case, uh, which tells us if you're not even interested officially in asking the question, should we get more information? you're ultimately probably not going to be impressed by the information that's produced. And and what's interesting about that, too, is the nature, as you said, the nature of the accusations here um, with uh, Bill Clinton, this being, uh, you know, it, it, you know, lying to Congress is not a joke. We shouldn't say that that's uh, obviously um, nothing is something that should be just uh, uh, just thrown away. But at the same time, um, at the, the, the very deep rooted cause of that was a extramarital affair, whereas in this case, we have, as I said, nonpartisan diplomats talking about um, the president essentially undermining their ability to advance U.S. interests overseas uh, for political and personal political gain. Um, and and now Republicans saying that this is a political sham. But again, this is the same party that um, that that put um, President Clinton or Clinton up for in impeachment in uh, 1998. So it seems like there is sort of a, a disconnect there in some ways. Well, you know, I mean, one of the consistent factors that we see in American history across the political spectrum, Democrat, Republican, Whig, doesn't matter, is a, a full embrace of hypocrisy. Um, you know, <laughs> when it's your guy, you are very, very fundamentally on one side. And when your guy is being accused, you're on the other side. Mm. Um, see Lindsey Graham, for example, who was one of the House managers of the Clinton impeachment. That is to say, one of the prosecuting lawyers, if you will, in normal parlance in the trial. Um, and was absolutely apoplectic that a president of the United States who lied, and I, I want to go back to something that you said earlier, Clinton didn't actually lie to Congress. Mm. I think that actually might, that would be an impeachable offense. He lied in a private civil right. suit. Right. Um, so nothing to do with the state whatsoever. Um, Lindsey Graham thought that a person who would lie in a private civil suit, you know, his remaining president would essentially destroy the fabric of American democracy. Um, uh, you know, Lindsey Graham of 1998, switch parties, would be apoplectic today. But of mm. course, today he is a supporter because it's his guy that's in the dock. Mm. Thank you for that correction. I appreciate that. Um, and remember, the number on the phones, if you want to get in on the conversation, is 313 577 
1019. Again, that's 313-577-1019. You can join us on Twitter as well by uh, using the hashtag Detroit Today. Um, Jeffrey Angle, we, uh, last week we spoke with a couple of people who are very knowledgeable on these topics, and they vehemently disagree with each other about whether the president deserves to be impeached, but they did agree on one thing, and that's that these hearings are not going to amount to much, uh, especially because they don't think anyone is actually paying attention. Uh, I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. Do you agree uh, that, especially compared to uh, the Clinton uh, impeachment and the uh, Nixon impeachment as well, the Watergate uh, hearings, um, you know, does it seem like this is just sort of going out in the ether? You know, I'll admit to you that when I first read the memorandum of President Trump's conversation with the Ukrainian president, which is claimed to be a transcript, but of course all sides agree it's actually not a transcript, it's not verbatim. Um, when I first read that, I said to myself, oh my goodness, this president's not going to last 24 hours, because mm. what had been done was so clearly something which previous presidents would never have tried, or if they had found out, would have lost their, their job immediately. But then again, I've said that seven or eight or 10 or 20 times for President Trump, that <laughs> right. what he has done is crossed the line. You know, I think, think back, I mean, the easiest example, think back is when he was a candidate, Trump, with the Access Hollywood tape. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I woke up, heard the news like everyone else, and said to myself, okay, as a historian, I can tell you, any other candidate that's ever had this kind of scandal ever is out of the race within 24 hours. <clears throat> and of right. course, President Trump, you know, sailed right through. So as a consequence, uh, I, I think the American people are paying attention, but they're actually quite numbed to revelations at this point um, in that the number of things that we've seen that have transgressed what previous presidents would have been allowed to do is innumerable. And consequently, we're seeing really dramatic statements and testimony and evidence come out that is basically bouncing off the American people because they've built up a shell of immunity to uh, all of the, the different scandals of the day. And we're so able to, I mean, the, the, the talking points are able to resonate more now, right? I mean, at least that's my sort of uh, perception of this, that because the way that we get our news, the way we get our information, and the way that we talk about politics is so insular now, um, mm-hmm. that, you know, when, when the party that you tend to agree with throws out talking points that are already made for, for you, it's so easy to adopt those as your own, your own feeling. You're not talking about them in person with people who really disagree with you. Is that, is that fair to say? I think that's exactly right. In fact, we can see this statistically in that President Trump's approval rating from the very first moment he came into office was about 41 to 42 percent. It hasn't budged no matter what's gone good for him and no matter what's gone bad for him. And if you ask Americans, you know, how many people are in favor or against impeachment, about 43 percent of Americans today say they are against impeachment. And his approval rating is 42 percent. So what that tells us is, if you like the president, you think this should go away. And it may be because you're living in a different media environment than the Democrats, who are living in a different media environment than you. Um, so, I mean, go, this, this is a two-way street in every, in every way, shape, and form. For every, for every person who feels that they have found the right message in Fox News, there's another person who feels they've found the right message in MSNBC. So this is a, not a partisan statement whatsoever. It's an indictment of the entire system and, and a dangerous one at that. Mm. Well, we only have uh, a little bit of time left here, but I did want to get one caller in here. Uh, Daniel in Detroit. You're on Detroit Today. Yes, thank you for having me on again. Um, I've been listening to the show, and there seems to be a lot of talk about the divide between the left and the right, the steadfast positions 
regardless of the evidence that's in front of you. And I was wondering, your um, your guest tonight, does he have any uh, uh, information on or a position or maybe a, an opinion on the uh, power that money uh, plays in this role? You know, it seems like the divide between the left and the right has gotten greater in the last 10 or 15 years, and mm. so has the spending. And then one more comment. I'm wondering if there's been any information on how much money our politicians are receiving when mm. they are in power. Oh, interesting. They are in control. Yeah, Daniel, I really appreciate the call and the questions. Uh, Jeffrey Engel, let's start uh, really quick. Again, we only have a little bit of time here, but with that first question about how money in politics might influence some of these issues. I don't think there's any doubt that it does. I mean, after Citizens United, we've had basically unlimited spending available to the American people to promote their political agendas without any check on whether those agendas are based in reality or not. And again, I say that bipartisanly. Um, And so I think what we're going to see going forward is more and more and more politically focused commercials, politically focused, paid for advertising from those people with unlimited pockets pushing that President Trump is guilty and pushing that President Trump is innocent, which again will just cloud the discussion and make it more difficult for Americans to make a genuine good faith effort at finding out what is actually true. Mm. Uh, Well, Jeffrey Angle, I really appreciate you joining us here on Detroit Today. We had so much that we could have gotten to. We didn't even talk too much about Watergate today, but we'll have to have you back on. I'm sure this will not be an issue that's uh, going away uh, too soon here. So, I suspect not. <laughs> Jeffrey Engel, director of the Center for Presidential History at Southern Methodist University, author of the book Impeachment in American History. Thanks again for joining us on Detroit Today. Thank you. Good to talk to you. All right. Coming up, we'll sit down with Monique Owens, who was just elected as East Point's new mayor.